0: Alright, well good morning everybody. Good to see y'all here again. Today we're going to again continue our study of the book of Revelation. And we're going to read through all of chapter 9 this morning. So Revelation chapter 9, would you find it? Would you please stand for reading God's word. Alright, Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates, like the breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe is past, behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice, ten thousand times ten thousand. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire, and of sapphire, and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire, and smoke, and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, by the fire, and smoke, and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths, and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Right, let's pray.
1: (coughs) Father, again we come in the name of Jesus, Lord, and we do want to thank you today. And Lord, we want to continue today to worship, praise you, give you the glory that you are due. Lord, enable us now to do that by means of taking heed to your word. Lord, so that it doesn't just fall on our physical ears, but so that it penetrates the deep recesses of our being. Lord, we want to be totally, completely affected by your truth. Lay us. Bear, as it were, before Yourself. Lord, search our hearts. Find the things that are unpleasant to You, and by Your grace, remove them as You conform us to the image of Your dear beloved Son. Lord, we pray this text today that we're considering, even use that to that end. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. And may it all be for your glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. A couple of things I'm going to uh, point out here to kind of get us in context. But I'll I'll give you this. We're going to to be talking about the the severity and and, uh, justice of God's wrath or you could say of God's judgment. Um, that's really where what this is focused on. But I, but I also want us to remember to view this in, in light of the larger context. And the message that's being conveyed here, even as we consider these things, is that God preserves His people in the midst of all of this. Remember, we've, we've said this over and over, but uh, we probably uh, need to keep being reminded of it. That's the focus of, of the revelation. Um, This this was given originally to churches in the first century who were suffering persecution. So this was given to them for their um, encouragement to strengthen them, strengthen them in their endurance, to strengthen them in their trust in the Lord, uh, and help them to see, just like it helps us to see, that ultimately God is in control. Regardless of whatever is going on in the world, um, God has not... Uh, lost control these things are that are happening things that were happening then things that are happening today are, are all within God's sovereign purpose All right, and he preserves his people in the midst of all of it so um, just like Jesus assured us that uh, he would lose nothing, that is not one person all that the father gives me Jesus said, I will raise up at the last day that's, that is the message of Revelation, all right? Or like um, we have talked about relating it to Jesus' words in John sixteen thirty three. In the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, or, or take heart. For Jesus says, I have overcome the world, or literally, I have conquered the world. So, he, he's, he's not telling believers that we will escape tribulation. He's telling believers to take heart. Because even though we will experience tribulation, he has conquered. And it's, it's all important that we, uh, that we remember that and stay focused on that um, for whatever we face uh, in, this, in this world. Okay? And this, this is just, uh, uh, I feel like I can't say it enough. I mean, this is becoming more and more, um, how should I say it? It's, it's, I don't want to give the impression that it's, it was ever at any point not relevant. It's always been relevant. It's God's Word. It's relevant for every age, every place. But, um, we are, we are, I, I think, our eyes are being opened in this country to, to the need for understanding these things, right? We, we are facing persecution now in some, in some lighter forms, although I'm sure it doesn't seem very light to some people that are, they are going through it. But, uh, we're, we're facing some, I guess you would call light persecution. There, there's more to come. There's more to come, and, it, and it's going to be stronger, and it's going to be, um, well, it's going to take on different forms, but it's going to get worse. So, so we need to know, <laughs> right? Uh, this, this is central to the gospel message, in fact. Our God reigns. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 52, when he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, tidings of great joy. He's, he's looking forward, talking about the gospel, and that's central to it, he says, those who declare our God reigns. That's the message. Our God reigns. So, for the Christian, there's always hope in any situation, unless God gets knocked off the throne, and I don't think that's going to happen, alright? <laughs> so, so, there's always hope for the believers. Alright, but we are focusing in at this point on, on uh, God's wrath and, and, uh, uh, and how um, He executes His wrath on the world. and. And uh, again, just a, a couple of statements to kind of help us with, uh, with the context. We're, we're still in the, uh, the second vision um, that started back in chapter 4, actually, verse 1. And we've been through the, the uh, you, you remember in, in chapter 4 and 5, um, chapter 5 specifically, there was the, John had the vision of the, uh, the, the one who is seated on the throne, Almighty God, he has the scroll in his hand. And it's sealed with seven seals. And remember, the, 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 the proclamation went out, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And, and of course, um, it turns out to be Jesus, right? The line of the tribe of Judah, the Root of Jesse, the Lamb who was slain. And John sees that in his uh, vision. He says, I saw a Lamb as, as uh, it had been slain. And He is worthy. In fact, you hear this cry in chapter 5, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God and every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And they go on in chapter 12 to say, um, and this is a, a myriads, a multitude of... of uh, of voices singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So the one who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals is the Lamb. And then we started going, going through the opening of the seventh seals. And I mentioned several times that the first six are, are all things that are taking place um, now, and they bring us, I mean now at this point in history, the period between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. And they bring us right up to the point of the end. When you get to the opening of the seventh seal, these seem to be um, the last of the last things. Okay, So it's bringing us right up to the end for the outpouring of God's wrath on the world, uh, and, and then, which will eventually lead to the, the final judgment when, when all unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire, eternal death. We'll see it's called the second death. And then, um, also, at that time, the fullness of blessing of God's people. That is, our, our actual, uh, the consummation of, of God's promises to His people. Our actual entering into the eternal state. Receiving glorified bodies and entering into the presence of the Lord where we shall remain forever. Living in His presence on a new heaven uh, and new earth. All right, so we're in this period now in chapter 9 that seems to be the last of the last days where, where uh, God is executing judgment upon the world. And, and we've come um, through the six seals and the seventh seal uh, begins the seven trumpets, uh, the sounding of the seven trumpets. And we went through uh, the first four of those Last week in chapter 8, and so now we're at the fifth uh, the sounding of the fifth trumpet. And this is also the first of the three woes. Remember, we talked several times about uh, the tribulation uh, increasing and intensifying the closer we get to the end. Well, that's, that's where we're at at this point, and it, it, is, uh, it is really intensifying. All right, so look back for just a moment, chapter 8, verse 13. When I looked... I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice. In some of your translations, by the way, say an angel. Um, there's a textual difference there uh, in the Greek manuscript. So just Somebody had asked about that last week, so I'm just pointing that out. So if you're looking at a King James, it'll say an angel crying. I looked and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So that's where we are now. And this is the first woe as we get into chapter 9. It's the fifth, sounding of the fifth trumpet, which is the first of the three woes, the final um, the final uh, outpouring of plagues on the earth. In verse 1, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. Now, I'm, I'm going to break this down and just... Two simple parts here. Um, I said we're going to be talking about the severity uh, and and justice of God's wrath. So so let's take those one at a time. The the severity of God's wrath, and then secondly the justice of God's wrath, or you might say um, uh, how His wrath is is justified. It is just. So first the severity, and this is where we see the the uh, the manifestation of these, uh, these plagues and the events that, that play out. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it is sting, when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, and their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. Literally, that's the the term there is the abyss. And it's used several times here. Uh, They have as king over them the angel of the abyss or the, the bottomless pit. His name is... In Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, he is called Apollyon. And the Hebrew term means destruction, uh, and the Greek term there, Apollyon, uh, means the destroyer. All right, uh, now, first, let me say this about what I said about the larger context. God protects His people, Right? Uh, ultimately, not, uh, like I say, he, he doesn't keep us from tribulation. No, just the opposite. Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But in and through the tribulation, God protects His people. In fact, brings us out of it victorious on the other side. And and we saw that back in, in chapter 7, um, verse 13. The one... One of the elders addressed me, this chapter 7, verse 13. Who are those clothed in white robes? From where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night. So he, he brought, literally, uh, he sealed them prior to tribulation. That's earlier in that chapter. And then he brings them through the tribulation. I should, I should be saying... Um, uh, us really um, but he brings us through the tribulation of this world and brings us uh, all the way through it out of it victorious so that or as, as John says it here therefore we are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple that is forever and ever will be in his presence because he was able to keep us now why am I saying all that again because of Because of verse five. You look when when the locusts are released here, when the when the wrath of God in the form of these locusts um is manifest, they are given power to harm for five months. And then verse four uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I said five, but verse four says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God. On their foreheads. Now you may remember back uh, in, in the early parts of chapter 7, um, before um, the destruction is, is, is released, before the wrath of God begins, God's people had to be sealed with the seal of the living God. Chapter 7, verse 3 says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. All right? So, so here um, in chapter nine, he's saying these locusts are allowed to to harm for five months, and in fact, verse five says they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. But this is um, only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So while we we suffer tribulation in this world, we do not suffer the wrath of God. And and just for a, a uh, a foreshadowing of that, a, 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 a picture of that, living illustration of that. Um, again, think about the, the children of Israel in Egypt. When God was about to deliver them out of Egypt, He brought the plagues upon Egypt. And the, the Egyptians suffered at the, at the, at the uh, hands of, of God, you know, God's wrath. They had to suffer the outpouring of God's wrath. But He made a distinction between His people and... And the Egyptians and his people were kept safe um, through, throughout that display of God's uh, wrath. Um, and then, of course, when you get to the final plague where all the firstborn, and we just had a mention of that um, in Psalm 135. When you get to the tenth uh, plague where all the firstborn of Egypt are killed, God instructed the uh, children of Israel to, to sacrifice a lamb. That's the, the very first Passover. They sacrificed the lamb and took the blood and placed it on their doorpost. And when the destroyer, I can't help but think there's intended to be a a correlation here between um, verse 11, where he says they have as their king over them the destroyer. Well, back in Exodus, when the destroyer was sent to destroy all of the firstborn in the land. The children of Israel took the blood of the lamb they had sacrificed, put it over the doorpost, and when the angel of destruction came through, he passed by those homes that had the blood of the lamb on display. That's the that's picture of, of what is going on here. Those who are sealed by, with the seal of the living God, those who have had the blood of the lamb of God applied to them, are kept and are safe and do not suffer the wrath of God. But it is poured out or executed on all of those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, as verse 4 says. All right, so God is able to protect His people. I'm emphasizing that because that's the main message here. It's, it's not so much all the imagery that we tend to get caught up in. The main message is that God is able to keep us. Like Peter says, we are kept by the power of God until the day of salvation, right? We are kept by the power of God. All right, now, in reference to the imagery, I want to I give you a couple things here. and I, I'm going to... Tell you again, which you're, you're going to hear this repeatedly too, as we move through the book of Revelation. There are a lot of um, varying opinions on on uh, what these things represent. Um, my tendency is going to be to, um, as I have stated several times, to try to put more emphasis on what we know than uh, than what than those things that we have to speculate about. <laughs> but but I'm going to share some things with you anyway, just just because there are different. Uh, uh, ideas, and I was looking at Matthew Henry's commentary, which is, if you if you don't use Matthew Henry's commentary or haven't, um, I recommend it. You know, it's 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 excellent commentary on the whole Bible. Um, and you can get it, you know, book form. You can get it electronically. It's, in fact, you can find it free on the web electronically. Um, it's it's good. But uh, just just to, just to kind of show you, Matthew Henry, when he's discussing these things, um. In the, in the first part of the sounding of the fifth trumpet, where we have the plague of locusts, um, he tends to take this as uh, an, an attack on the church in the form of um, heresy. All right? So, so he's, he's taking it all symbolic. That is the you know, demonic powers infiltrating the church, as it were, in the form of heresy. So just for example... And I should say this too, this, all of this imagery of the locust is coming from Joel chapter 2. That's that's no accident. So I mean, you may want to, uh, in your own studies, you may want to go back and read that. There it's talking about a literal plague of locusts. And then as you move through the book of Joel, um, it's talking about an invading army and then the judgment at the last day, which is where we're at right now in Revelation 9. And, and as you move through the book of Joel, and you remember we we just went through it not too long ago, sometimes it's hard to distinguish. You know, the particular verses is it talking about the literal locust, or is it talking about the uh, the Assyrian army that would invade? Israel, or is it talking about um, you know the the uh, the judgment at the last day? And sometimes some of the verses are, are hard to uh, to distinguish, and that's just you know the. the Fluidity of apocalyptic language, um, and when it moves through symbols like that, and sometimes, uh, uh, it's just tough to, to uh, discern, uh, how it all works. And, and we've got much of that in the book of Revelation, so we see the same thing here. But that's where the imagery's coming from, Joel chapter 2. Alright, now here's what, just a little bit of what Matthew Henry says. And, uh, and by the way, everybody is, is, uh, uh, a man or a woman of of your time, right? So we tend to relate things to the time we live in. Matthew Henry did the same thing. Here's what he says: Upon opening the bottomless pit, there arose a great smoke which darkened the sun and the air. The devils are the powers of darkness. Hell is the place of darkness. The devil carries on his de- on his designs by, carries on his designs by blinding the eyes of men, by extinguishing light and knowledge. And promoting ignorance and error. So, you see where he's going with this? He's saying the, the, the smoke that pours out of the bottomless pit um, represents darkness. And, of course, that's, you know, we, we can say that safely. No, no doubt there. Um, and, and so, Matthew Henry saying that, um, that this is how Satan works by extinguishing light. And he's talking about in, in the minds uh, light and knowledge and promoting ignorance and error. He first deceives men and then destroys them. Wretched souls follow Him in the dark, or they do not follow Him. Out of this dark smoke there came a swarm of locusts, one of the plagues of Egypt, the devil's emissaries headed by Antichrist, all the rout and rabble of Antichristian orders to promote superstition, idolatry, error, and cruelty, and these had by the just permission... And these, by the just permission of God, had power to hurt those who had not the mark of God in their foreheads. the The hurt they were to do them was not a bodily, but a spiritual hurt. So you see, he's interpreting this spiritually, um, saying that this is talking about um, uh, wrong doctrine, wrong ideas, falsehood. So the hurt is not bodily, but it's physical. And then he says, They should not in a military way destroy all by fire and sword. The trees and the grass should be untouched, and those that hurt should not be slain. It should not be a persecution but a secret poison and infection in their souls which should rob them of their purity and afterwards of their peace. Heresy is a poison in the soul working slowly and secretly. All right? Now let's go to the next section here, the... the, the uh the sixth angel. Look down in, in Revelation 9, 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And this is uh, this is the second woe, by the way. You look at verse 12. He says, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Um, and the second woe s- starts here in verse 13. It, it carries over all the way into uh, chapter 11. So, So we won't cover all of it today. But here's where it starts. Uh, Again, 9.13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four corners of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. This seems to me to be a reference back to chapter 7, verse 1, where you have the four angels holding back the four winds. In other words, they're withholding God's wrath, God's destruction, as it were. That's the picture holding it back until all of God's people are sealed. Now, here's the call for it to be released. And, and, and yes, the imagery is a little bit different, but it seems to me to be referring to the same thing. Verse 15, So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000, 200 million. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses... Is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Now these are some fascinating pictures, right? And now uh, back to uh, Matthew Henry, just for a moment. He he interprets this a little differently this time, more physical. And uh, as I said, he's a, a man of his time, just like we all are. And so he relates it to the rise of the Ottoman Empire which was about uh, Matthew Henry's living in the uh, um, 16th century. The the, the Ottoman Empire r- arose in, in uh, uh, like 1299, the, the latter part of the 13th century. Lasted until the 1920s, so they were a power for a long time. Um, so he relates this to, he thinks that is what's pictured here. And he says this, Here the the Turkish power had its rise. Now, when he says here, he means in the east, uh, and that's where the Euphrates is. Here the Turkish power had its rise, which seems to be the story of this vision. So that's how he's understanding this. The the vision itself and the four angels that had been bound in the great river Euphrates were now loosed. And here observe the time of their military operations and executions is limited to an hour and a day and a month and a year. Prophetic characters of time are hardly to be understood by us, but in general the time is fixed to an hour, when it shall begin and when it shall end, and how far the execution shall prevail, even to the third part of the inhabitants of the earth. God will make the wrath of man praise him, and the remainder of wrath he will restrain. The army that was to execute his great commission is mustered, and the number found to be of horsemen two hundred thousand, thousand two hundred million. 200,000,000. 200, yeah, 200,000, 200 million. But we are left to guess what the infantry must be, Matthew Henry says. In general, it tells us the armies of the Mohammedan Empire should be vastly great, and so it is certain they were. Um, he goes on, because of the descriptions here of the smoke and the fire and, and uh, the sulfur, he goes on to describe... Um, The invention of guns, believe it or not, says they were first used by the Turks at Constantinople, um, which I either didn't know or had forgotten. I've I've looked at some of that, but I didn't remember that. Uh, And yes, he says there these these referring to guns. These were first used by the Turks at the siege of Constantinople. That today is Istanbul, by the way. Um, So let me. So he takes the first, uh, the sounding of the fifth trumpet. And the plague of locusts to be, uh, really talking about heresy and he, and he relates it to, um, for example, the Roman Catholic Church and their rise in power and how they corrupted religion. And then he takes the, the sounding of the, the sixth trumpet, uh, to be more physical, you know, in other words, a, a real, it's still symbolic, but at this time it's a symbolic, uh, the, the horses are symbolic of a, of a real army whom he takes to be the Turks. The rise of the Ottoman Empire who um, attacked the Roman Catholics, the Roman Empire, right? And, and he talks about how God, and this is certainly true, um, that we, you see this play out in Scripture various times, but how God would use one enemy to bring down another enemy in his sovereignty. All right? Now, um, that is playing out here in Revelation 9 whether or not the locusts are the Roman Catholics, and the and the horses are the Turks. Okay, uh, but still, one enemy is being used to bring judgment on another enemy. And I was looking at uh, another commentary that a uh, commentator that I like, George Eldon Ladd, and he takes it a little bit more literally. And he, I mean, he sees this as demonic forces manifest in some way, which I don't have a problem with that. Um, but 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 just the question still remains you know how all this is exactly going to play out, and what are they i mean it 's a pretty strange description of locusts and horses, right? I mean how many locusts have you seen look like this, and how many horses have you seen that look like this and and people come up with all kinds of, uh, of fanciful ideas and and some of it uh, i mean I, I can understand the logic behind some of it um, for example, you know people have tried to relate the locusts to helicopters, military helicopters well i mean i can I can see. Uh why that would be if uh I can see the logic behind that, in other words if if John living in the first century were witnessing uh, uh the operation of an apache helicopter uh which he knew nothing about, how would he describe it okay so um so that makes sense in a way, but uh, but I still think it's going a little too far because when you when you read the descriptions uh some of it just doesn't add up, obviously, the sound of the wings does sounds like horses rider like chariots and that sounds like a helicopter but when you when you start talking about the faces like men and the long hair and all you know a lot of it just doesn't add up so i don't know that it's to be taken in in that kind of sense although you know it's a it's a possibility but here's what i know like i said we're going to try to emphasize what we know <laughs> what we know is this it is god ordained god delivered judgment on this world for rejecting him. So so I think what is, what is being communi- communicated here, the main thing I think that's being communicated here in all of this imagery is the horror of it. Men calling on rocks to fall on them, for example, desiring to die, and yet he says death will flee from them in verse 6. But they will be. See- it will be so horrible, they will be seeking death. And as I said, I think the, 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 the description of the destroyer in verse 11 who led this plague of locusts, it seems to me to correlate with um, the death angel or the, the destroyer in, in Exodus. So there again, the, the point in tying those two together would be the horror. I, imagine that night in Egypt... When the destroyer is moving throughout the land, killing every firstborn throughout the whole land. Imagine the horror of that, and imagine, imagine the uh, the grieving. Imagine the sound of the of the wailing parents finding their firstborn dead. So that, that's what's going on here, God is like he did in Egypt in the ten plagues is pouring out his wrath and the imagery of the of the locusts whatever they are in reality, whether it's, it's, it's demons taking on some form or, or demons working through forces, which I would be more inclined to believe uh, to be the case um, the horses again you know, whether it's some kind of, you know, literal demonic thing or, or or demonic powers working through forces like like through governments, through armies or whatever, which again I would I would be more inclined to, to uh to think in those terms. But what whatever they are literally what is clear here is the severity, the horror of God's judgment upon those who do not have the seal of God on their forehead in other words those who are not in Christ those who do not who who are not preserved and protected through these things through faith in Jesus Christ because they belong to Jesus Christ now last point before we Close. I said we would look at the justice of God's wrath. Now, here is something, and it's mentioned more than once in Revelation, but here is something that has uh, for a long time amazed me, and I think it's because I think too highly of myself and because I think too highly of you. Verse 20, "...the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands." nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. By the way, that should sound familiar because we saw that description in Psalm 135 as well. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So they're they're idolaters. They're committed to sexual immorality, witchcraft, thievery, and they're essentially you and me apart from the grace of God. And that's what I meant by thinking too highly of myself and of yourself and of everybody else. In other words, we, we, we tend to think that people can't really be this bad. How bad? Well,. These idolaters, these who are given over to sexual immorality and thefts and witchcraft, and by the way, this is everybody who's not sealed with the seal of the living God. And, and these particular ones have survived the plagues we just read about. Many of them, a third, right, have been a third of humanity has been killed. But these are survivors, and it's everybody outside of Christ... And, here, and here's how bad they are, and here's how bad we are apart from Christ. While God is manifesting His wrath in this way, in these amazing ways, um, they are still unrepentant. There's a preacher that I like to listen to years and years ago. You may, have, some of you may have heard of Lester Roloff. He's long gone now, been with the Lord. But I used to like to hear him preach, and I remember him saying one time, um, you know, he said something to the effect, if I could could just give you a glimpse of hell, if you could just see hell for a second or two, you'd repent. And that's kind of what he was saying. If I could just give people a, a glimpse of hell, they would repent. But you know what? That's not true. It sounds logical, doesn't it? These people are getting more than a glimpse of it. They're getting a foretaste of it. Now, in Romans 1, it talks about the, the, the present manifestation of God's wrath. The way that, and, and we're living this now. The way that God is, is manifesting His wrath today is by allowing these things to go on. I mean, a lot of times people say, well, you know, uh, we have all these things going on and, and surely God is going to visit wrath uh, on the United States, you know, because of abortion, because of homosexuality. No, that is a manifestation of God's wrath. The fact that He... That's, that's what Paul says in Romans 1. That the, the, the very fact that He's given people over to those things is His wrath being manifest. But you know what? People just... And you and I did the same thing. People live under God's wrath, right? Jesus, Jesus said... Um, that if you don't believe on Him, the wrath of God abides on you. He's He's saying that's now. You don't believe in me, the wrath of God abides on you now. But but in this time we're in, people live under God's wrath. I mean, with God's wrath manifest on them in in w- w- the ways we read here and other ways. You know, witchcraft, sexual immorality, which of course includes homosexuality. Uh, it's not limited to that, but it includes that adultery. Um, you name it, fornication, viewing, um, pornography. People, people live under God's wrath and don't even know it. So it's a little bit easier to understand. Okay, now we're in a time where people live under God's wrath and they don't realize it, so I can kind of see why they don't repent. I mean, that's the way we would think in our head, right? But what we're seeing in Revelation 9, they know it. It has now become fully Manifest i mean he is he is pouring out his wrath in supernatural ways it seems like even if these are images of literal armies and things like that um it, it, it like we have said it, it has intensified to a point now that it it's almost it seems incredible you know a third of men perishing and and, and all this it, it incredible manifestation of god's Wrath, and yet we don't read about them repenting. No, it's just the opposite. The rest of mankind—that is, all those who survived—and I—and I can add um, what we're talking because what we're talking about here is those who have not been sealed with the seal of God. So all of those who survived the plagues and who are not sealed with the seal of God on their foreheads—and of course, again, meaning by that—are not in Christ. Not saved, we would say. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by the plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. They continue to worship those things that that have no life, money, career, sex, I mean, you name it. Just, Just things that have no life, that cannot... See or hear or walk and did not repent of their murders. they you know they retained their selfish hate hateful actions towards one another are their sorceries are their sexual immorality are their thefts now real quick we we are we are just taken back sometimes at the at the level of of of, uh, of of God's anger and 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 the outpouring of His wrath and 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 it's difficult it's difficult for people to see how how can how can anyone deserve that I mean there's some bad people in the world you know we might we might concede sometimes of course you know Adolf Hitler and of course it's it's never me by the way it's always you know Adolf Hitler or or Saddam Hussein or somebody like that. There's some bad people in the world, but surely nobody deserves this. And here is some evidence to the contrary. That when a just and holy and righteous God who has manifested His grace and mercy through the giving of His only begotten Son to die for all who would believe on a cross at Calvary, when He does all of that, He is yet rejected. Rejected. And His glory, as Paul says in Romans, is exchanged for these things right here. Idols of gold and silver and sex, sorcery and the like. The point is this. God is not, will not, is not, has not ever poured out His wrath unjustly. The the penalty... And the severity of the penalty corresponds directly to the magnitude of the offense, and I might add perfectly, the severity of the penalty lines up is consistent, perfect consistency with the magnitude of the offense. To reject the only one who truly deserves our devotion and give it instead to things like these, is to bring about the wrath of God on ourselves. And when God delivers, even in His fullness, when He delivers wrath in its fullness, it will be perfectly justified because of the nature of the sin against Him. But listen, here's the good news. Now I said that all this is being poured out on those who do not have the seal of God. In other words, those who are not saved, those who have not come to faith in Christ. But you know what? We haven't reached that point yet, we're, and we're still in a day of grace, what, what Paul calls the acceptable time. Right? In fact, he says it's today. So the time to repent is now, today. Today's the acceptable day and come to God seeking His mercy through faith in Jesus Christ. That is, through trusting in what Christ has done as payment for your sins. God's justice is always delivered. It, it is either His justice for your sin and for my sin is either executed on Christ at Calvary or we will bear it ourselves through eternity. And the good news is, as I said earlier, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him, that is, trust in Him, should not perish. That is, not experience His wrath. In fact, Paul says in Thessalonians, we're not appointed to wrath. Speaking of Christians. So He's given His only Son that whoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you know Christ today, or if you come to know Him today, you'll be safe. Whatever comes. Because God preserves His people. Would you stand? Dan, you mind praying for us and we'll be dismissed.